Well, thanks everyone again for joining us for Christmas Eve. You truly bless us by taking time, especially this late at night, to be with us at Cross of Life. Uh, If we haven't met, my name is Caleb. I'm the pastor here. And uh, we welcome also those of you who are joining us online for worship tonight. Before we begin, if you don't mind, I'm going to get a little transparent with you. Uh, Preaching for Christmas Eve is really challenging for me. Preaching generally comes pretty easy, but on Christmas Eve, I think there are a couple factors that just make me dread it every year. The first is that I think there's just some unspoken pressure in the moment. It's a special service, and all the candles are lit, and y'all look beautiful. You came out of your houses for an extra time of worship, and, and maybe it's just the feeling of Christmas, but I sort of feel like I'm supposed to be extra winsome and sweet and make you kind of say, aw, at the end of the sermon. And it's not that I don't want to do that. I'm just not very good at it. I, I'm much more likely to open a Bible and say, here's what it says, and you should believe it because God is God and you are not. So that's the first problem. The second is, there are some of you sitting here, and, and I'm sure some of you who are watching online who we don't get to see very often. And what everyone in this room who calls Cross of Life their church home wants more than anything else is for you to come back and for you to find the joy that we find week to week here in this word. And so I feel a little bit of pressure. Like, like I got to say something that's particularly engaging or going to warm your hearts. You're like, doggone it, we're going back there tomorrow or at least on New Year's Day. But you know that that just strikes the opposite of Christmas. Like, what was Christmas? It was a a young mother, her husband, having a baby they weren't ready for in a place where babies should not be born. Some basically commoners show up saying, saying that they've seen angels, but frankly, they just look like normal fellows. All of it was pretty ordinary, and yet you and I know the most extraordinary thing was happening in that moment, and I prayed just a little few minutes ago, that the exact same thing would happen tonight. That as we open God's word and I tell you what it has to say, that something extraordinary would happen. That your heart would be warmed by the power of the gospel. That you would see something here that you can't see anywhere else. That's my prayer for tonight. So we're going to look at Titus chapter 3, just the first eight verses. Let me read it for us. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one and to be peaceable and considerate and always to be gentle toward everyone. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things, so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. This is the word of God. So we're going to do three things tonight. It's going to be real easy for you to remember. We're going to talk about darkness, light, and light in the darkness. Okay? So first, darkness. 
Apostle Paul starts this letter by saying, remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always to be gentle toward everyone. There's a reason he had to say that. This letter that we're reading from, the the book of the Bible that's called Titus, is a personal letter from the Apostle Paul, who's the greatest church planter of all time, to a pastor named Titus who was appointed to watch over the churches on the island of Crete in the Mediterranean Sea. You may know where Crete is. It's kind of out in the middle, sort of exposed to all the elements, and as such, it became a crossroads for people who were traveling by boat through the Mediterranean Sea. And as a crossroads for people who were traveling by boat through the Mediterranean Sea, it sort of became a hub for everything dark about the world. Because you were pretty far away from anyone's jurisdiction when you were out on Crete, and even if you did get on the wrong side of the law, you could just hop on the next boat and get lost and never be found. And so everything that you can possibly imagine that is dark and evil and cruel and unjust, it happened on Crete. In fact, so much so that earlier in this letter, that the Apostle Paul pens to Titus back in chapter one, he quotes one of Crete's own poets, a man named Epimenides. He was a Cretan poet, and he wrote about his own people that Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, and lazy gluttons. Cretans knew who they were. They knew how they lived. And so the Apostle Paul has to say to Titus, as you watch over all these churches, tell the people that it is important that they live holy lives. Because how easy is it to get caught up in the darkness that is all around us. Can you imagine some of the darkness that the Cretans would have to have lived through, those Cretan Christians living in that church? Everyone trying to take advantage of you, everyone out for himself, every bit of injustice or maltreatment that you can imagine. You couldn't count on your neighbors. People were corrupt at all levels of government. And frankly, the church was suspect a little bit at this time, too. Earlier in this letter from Paul to Titus, we find out that Paul says there are are people who are trying to infiltrate the church and use the church to their own advantage, to get money, to get influence, to get power. It was a dark time. But maybe as I was telling you to imagine that, that, that hit a little bit closer to home than maybe you were expecting. Do you sometimes feel like that? Like... Like everyone's trying to take advantage of you? Or like there's corruption at all levels of authority? Do you feel like everyone's out for themselves? Do you feel like you see injustice and maltreatment around you regularly? Do you really feel like you can count on your neighbors? And frankly, do you sometimes think the church is a little bit suspect too? Like they're they're organizing their nice little social clubs that keep everybody happy, but how much good are they actually doing to help the world? It's dark out there. And I'm not just talking about the fact that the sun went down at four today. But I think for some of you, the darkness isn't just out there. In fact, the darkest darkness that you know is in here. Like that stuff is scary. Cultural and societal and economic and political issues, all that darkness, that's dark. But the stuff that you walk around with, that might be even darker. Like that addiction that you're going to have to fight against tonight when you leave this building? That mental illness that no one seems to understand and never seems to go away? The physical pain that you've been dealing with for maybe decades? Maybe just the fact that you kind of hate yourself? 
Maybe it's so bad that you've thought about ending it all. Or maybe it's not that bad, but you just sometimes think, why am I the way that I am? Maybe it's how you look, it's how you talk, how, who you hang out with, what you do with your free time. You just look yourself in the mirror sometimes and you're like, why? I think sometimes the darkest darkness is not out there for a lot of us. It's, it's right in here. And what most of us do when we experience any form of that darkness is we try to light a candle, at least metaphorically. Candles are a beautiful sign of this time of year. We love them in our house. But I, I don't know if you've noticed, but candles eventually burn out. Uh, they run out of wax or oil or whatever you're using to light them. And so while they are pleasant for light and warmth for a little while, eventually they are insufficient. Maybe you've tried to light a candle or two when you've come into a face-to-face -face with the darkness of this world. You try to light the candle of human approval. Like, I'll feel okay about all the bad stuff that's going on as long as somebody calls me their special someone. Or as long as my kids represent me well. As long as people acknowledge me for the work that I do at work. As long as it feels like I've sort of got my life together. At least that's what other people think. Maybe you got daddy issues or mommy issues or, or something like that, like where you just need somebody to say you're okay. And as long as you have that, it's a nice warm light candle, right? It, it helps you feel good about the darkness that you're living in until boyfriends and girlfriends break up, husbands and wives fight, husbands and wives get divorced, or even if you're in the most perfect marriage ever and you never fight, the fact that one of you is going to have to put the other one in the grave is a reality. And as much as you'd like to control your kids, 90% of the things that are going to influence them in their life, you have no control over. And work is only going to work out for you as long as you're doing okay. Somebody who can do your job better or do it for less money, you're done. Maybe you light the candle of entertainment. Like rather than try to feel good about all the darkness, you just sort of try to drown it out by filling your ears and your eyes with as much stuff as you possibly can to try to forget. You put an, an, another show that you're going to binge on Netflix in front of your eyes. You scroll through your phone for a while. You listen to as many podcasts as you can get your, mind on, or your ears on because maybe another candle that you light is the candle of knowledge, so you feel good about yourself if you know more than the next person. And as long as that seems to be working for you, you feel okay. Until Netflix asks you, are you still watching? Or your podcast downloads say, you have no episodes to listen to. Or the news cycle repeats and you're hearing the same stories over and over again. And you realize the darkness is overwhelming. Maybe you try to light the candle of comfort. Whether it's comfort because you've got your finances under control. You feel like you can, you can go through this economic downturn. You'll be all right. Or maybe you find comfort in just drowning out the pain, whether it's mental or physical, with substances of all sorts. If I can just feel okay for a little while, then that's fine until the drugs wear off or you realize that so much of money is not under your control anyways. And I could go on, but you know what I'm getting at, right? There are so many human solutions that we have to the darkness that we experience outside and inside that are good for a time. And that's why they're so deceptive. They don't immediately fail you. They actually succeed for a little while in making you feel like life is okay, but they don't last. So let me tell you about some light. 
The very next words that the Apostle Paul says are, at one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. And an honest reader of that would say, hold on, Paul, I think you got the tenses of the verbs wrong. Like at one time, we were foolish and deceived, living in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. I don't know about you, but that's right now. That's not at one time. That's not past reality. That's present reality. But Paul says, no, at one time you were that. Why? Because when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. He changed your status. He changed you. So much so that when God looks at you, he does not look at the malicious or envious or hateful person that you can sometimes be. He doesn't look at the darkness that's around you or the darkness that you've caused. He looks at Jesus. Because when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Not he will save us. He might save us. No, he saved us. He already did it. And isn't it powerful that he uses that word appeared to describe it? We're talking about Christmas, and I'm assuming most of you know how babies get into the world. It's not really an appearance sort of thing. They're kind of growing for a while, and you can tell, and then the whole process of getting them out, that's not exactly quick. They don't just appear, but the way that Paul sees this is that this is like turning on a light in a dark room. Like everything changes in this moment because everything else in your world is telling you one thing, do more. Be more successful, be more beautiful, be more rich. Put more time, more energy, more money into whatever it is that's going to make you feel okay about yourself. And whether it's your boss or your parents or your friends or your peer group, they are going to demand more. That's every religion, every worldview, even things that would not call themselves religious. They will ask you to post this and say this and do this in order to be somebody. But the gospel does not say that. The gospel says when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. 100% unconditional grace from God. You are saved not because of yourself, but because of Jesus. Who you truly are in Christ has nothing to do with you. Your past darkness has nothing to contribute. Your future obedience has nothing to contribute. You are completely loved and accepted and adored in Jesus Christ. And because Jesus was perfect in your place, you are free to be imperfect. And because Jesus was extraordinary, you are free to be ordinary. Because Jesus pulled it off, you are free to fail. Because this is not because of your righteous works, but because God saved you because of his mercy. Whatever candle you are depending on to make you feel warm and lit in the darkness cannot compare to this light. This light can drown out any darkness. Because no matter what the darkness is, let's say it's out there and it threatens to take whatever you love, you have this promise. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. And no one can take that away from you. You may live a pain-filled, struggle-filled life for your entire time on earth, but it will not last. Something eternal will come and it is not dependent on you. And if in the darkness is in here and you are tempted to hate yourself, loathe yourself, wish yourself to not be how you are, the gospel says Jesus loved you enough to come and save you. 
to call you his own. Not because you are pulling it off or failing or anything like that. It doesn't depend on you. It's because the kindness and love of God, our savior appeared. And if you can let that melt your heart, then you will become light in the darkness. And the apostle Paul starts this text by saying, here's what I want you to train people to do, Titus. But the way that he ends the text is really interesting because he says, this is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. He says, if you want people to do good, if you want people to make a difference, if you want people to shine light in the darkness, then stress these things. What are these things? When the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. Why? Because if you believe that, then you will rid yourself of all superiority and all inferiority. And only when you do that can you actually bring goodness into this dark world. See, if you think yourself to be a pretty good person, Maybe you've got a job where you help people. If you're not doing it because you know the kindness and love of God our Savior, you are at least in some way doing it for yourself. You're doing it for yourself to make you feel good about yourself, maybe to get some accolades somewhere or a reputation of being a good person. But you're using people. I mean, to the outside world, it might look like you're helping the poor, serving your neighbor, but but deep down inside, what God knows is that you're using them. Or, if you think yourself to be an absolutely loathsome person where you're not even going to try because, frankly, you'd probably screw it up anyways, what the gospel tells you is that actually, this never depended on you anyways. See, the gospel tells you that you are far worse off than you ever could imagine. And therefore, you have no superiority over anyone. You cannot think yourself to be better than anyone because God's Death was what was necessary to save you. But at the same time, you cannot feel any inferiority because the God of the universe was willing to give his life up for you. And whether you hate yourself or not, God loves you that much. If you believe the gospel, it will rid you of the desire to feel superior to other, to other people and the desire to feel inferior to other people. It will rid you of the desire to hate others and the desire to hate yourself. And when that sinks in, and you can live free, knowing that whether you pull it off or not, it does not matter. You are free in Christ. You will actually do good in this world. And so my prayer for you is that you saturate yourself in the gospel. Don't turn Christianity into another to-do list. Another way to try to make it, to be good enough, or at least better than most. Christianity is fundamentally this message, when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous works we have done. On the first Christmas, Jesus came as a human baby to be human in your place. To be perfect in all the places that you failed. and To pay for all the times that you failed with his death on the cross. And because he lives you also will live. Stress these things. Stress these things to your spouse, to your friends, to your children. And if you need them stressed to you, come back here.
because this is what we preach and this is what we believe. Merry Christmas. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, tonight we celebrate when you appeared, when you turned the light on in our life to show us that none of our status depends on us, that we are completely free in you. That is a hard message to believe. And so I pray that you'd send your Holy Spirit in the hearts of every person who is here to strengthen or maybe even create faith tonight. That the gospel would start to shine from our community here. That we would live as those who are not trying to prove anything and not trying to hide from anything so that the gospel can spread to more people. They can have the light turned on in their life and know that no matter how dark the darkness seems, it will not last forever. We ask that in your name. Amen.